And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans, chapter 14. And I'm going to read and preach verses 13 through 15 this morning of Romans 14. Verses 13 through 15, verses which are about, as I said before, walking in love toward each other in the body of Christ. The Christian life is not about self-fulfillment. It's about self-sacrifice. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior who came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By nature, we know that our instinct is to live for ourselves and to please ourselves. We know this deep down. But by grace, our instincts have changed. Our hearts have changed. Our lives have changed. Not fully, of course, not completely, not perfectly. We all know that. But fundamentally and permanently, our hearts have been changed by the Spirit of God. And now, as believers, we want to serve God. We want to serve each other and not ourselves. We want to live for Christ. We want to be a real blessing to the people around us in our lives. But of course we know our sin gets in the way. The sin that remains in us. The selfishness that is so deeply ingrained in the fabric of our character makes it difficult for us to do what we really want to do deep down. We want to walk in love toward others but we often find that it's an uphill walk. But when we turn to God's word, as we will do now together, we find all the resources we need in his word and by his spirit working in us through his word, we find everything we need to love others as we've been loved by Christ, especially in the midst of the disagreements we have with each other from time to time, which is what Paul's been talking about here in this chapter. So let's... With that in mind, see what we can learn together this morning from God's word about how to walk in love toward each other as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's pray together and then we'll begin. Lord God, we thank you for these particular verses that are before us this morning. We want to understand them, so would you help us? Open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts. And we also want to apply them to our lives, especially to our life together here in this church. So please equip us and empower us by your spirit to respond rightly to what we hear. And especially we pray that you would enable us to love as we've been loved by Christ. We pray in his name, amen. Amen. Romans 14 reading verses 13 through 15, the words of God through the Apostle Paul. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
Well, as you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to look first at the exhortation Paul gives in verse 13, which is essentially don't put a stumbling block in each other's way. Then a clarification he offers in verse 14, nothing is unclean unless you think it's unclean. And finally, the exhortation in verse 15, don't destroy each other, walk in love toward each other. And we'll look at each of those three in turn. So number one, don't put a stumbling block in each other's way. As you can see in verse 13 there, before he talks about not putting a stumbling block in each other's way, he tells us again not to pass judgment on each other. He's mentioned that a few times already, but he tells us again, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Therefore, Paul is saying, in light of what I've been saying in the previous verses, that is because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and because we will all give an account of ourselves to God, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. God is the judge, not us. Therefore, let's not pass judgment on one another. That's what Paul's saying. There are lots of these one another commands in the New Testament that God gives us for how we're to treat each other in the body of Christ. I'm sure you could think of a number of them called to love one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, and so on. But I think it's important for us to remember when we think of these one another commands that there's also things like don't pass judgment on one another, like we see here in this verse. Or don't lie to one another. Or don't bite and devour one another. The one another commands tell us what we should do to each other, but they also tell us what we shouldn't do to each other. And both are essential for a healthy church, for healthy relationships in the church. Like in a garden where it's important to plant seeds but also to pull weeds, we need to make sure we're doing both in the garden of our fellowship here in this church. And one of the weeds we need to pull on a regular basis is passing judgment on one another. And these verses will help us with that by God's grace. But having reminded us again not to pass judgment on one another, Paul then writes in the second half of verse 13, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean by putting a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother? Well, he's talking about doing something that causes someone to stumble into sin. Doing something that causes someone to stumble into sin. It makes them trip and fall along their way into sin. And in context, he's talking about the strong in faith eating certain foods that the weak in faith considered unclean And the weak in faith see the strong in faith eating those foods and they're tempted by that to do the same and they go ahead and eat the unclean foods even though their conscience is telling them it's wrong to eat them. And so the strong in faith eating those foods becomes a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of the brother or sister who is weak in faith. See how that works. It's like he says down in verses 20 and 21. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, 
But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So when he says in verse 13, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, he's talking about the strong in faith deciding never to eat certain foods if it would put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister who is weak in faith. A modern example might be drinking alcohol in front of a brother or sister who you know thinks that it's sinful to drink alcohol, even though the Bible doesn't teach that. The exhortation is don't put a stumbling block in their way. Be willing to not drink alcohol around them in order to not put a stumbling block in their way. This is how to walk in love toward each other being careful not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in each other's way. When you cheer someone on who's running a race, what do you do when they run by you? When you see them coming and and they're running by you? You don't stick out your foot as they're running by. You cheer them on. You yell, go Owen, go Baxter, go Lucy, whatever the person's name happens to be. You don't trip them, you cheer for them, you encourage them along the way, and that's what we wanna do for each other. We shouldn't put a stumbling block in each other's way as we are running our race. We should cheer each other on and encourage each other and help each other along the way. Hebrews 12, one and two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We should help each other run that race. We should help each other look to Christ We should walk in love toward each other by not putting a stumbling block in each other's way. Now Paul offers a clarification in verse 14. Let's look at that now under a second main point. This is an important clarification. He says, as I've summarized, nothing is unclean unless you think it's unclean. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So he's just said, primarily to the strong in faith, really, don't put a stumbling block in the way of a brother who's weak in faith. Basically, don't eat certain foods around them because it might make them stumble. But then he clarifies that it's not because those foods actually are unclean, They aren't. Nothing is unclean in itself. And yet, those foods are unclean in a sense for anyone who thinks they're unclean. First, he says that nothing is unclean. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul knows this and is persuaded about this in the Lord Jesus or by the Lord Jesus. That is, by his teaching, which Paul received from him, either from the risen Christ directly or from the words of Christ that we find in the Gospels. 
And he knows and is persuaded that nothing is unclean in itself, intrinsically. All those foods that were considered unclean under the old covenant are now clean under the new covenant after the coming of Christ. They no longer defile a person. As Jesus said in Mark 7, verses 18 through 23, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Real uncleanness comes from our hearts, not from the foods we eat. And Paul says that he knows and is persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Under the new covenant, we can eat anything because Jesus declared all foods clean now. So you can enjoy with a clear conscience a pork barbecue sandwich from Red's Barbecue in downtown Carlisle. You can have shrimp when you go to the beach You can eat the bacon that is served so plentifully at the men's breakfast because nothing is unclean in itself. And yet, Paul says in verse 14, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And here he's referring to the weak in faith who were still observing the Old Testament food laws. And he's saying that for them, those foods are still unclean in a sense because they don't know and they aren't persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. They still think those foods are unclean and therefore for them, they are unclean because if they were to eat them, it would be wrong. It would be sinful. Because they'd be going against their conscience. They'd be doing something they think is wrong. So even though the foods themselves are clean, the weak in faith think they're unclean. They think they're forbidden by God. And so if they eat them, in their minds they're doing what God forbids. And therefore to eat them would be sin, to stumble and fall into sin. Authors Andy Nacelli and J.D. Crowley write the following in their book called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. It's a good book the elders and deacons are reading together right now. The authors write, the Bible teaches in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 that to go against your conscience when you think it's warning you correctly is always a sin in God's eyes, always even if the action is not a sin in and of itself. Why? Because your intention is to sin. Your intention is to sin. So even if these foods were clean, if the weak in faith thought they were unclean and yet they ate them anyway, they'd be sinning. They'd be going against their conscience when they think it's warning them correctly. They'd be doing something they think is wrong which is wrong. So if you're in downtown Carlisle and you're 
trying to find a parking spot and you're having a hard time finding one and you've been around the block a few times already and you finally find a spot but it's by a sign that says no parking and you see the sign but you go ahead and park there anyway, that's wrong. But what if the sign actually said no parking from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and it was 6 p.m.? But you didn't see that it said from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You just saw no parking. Would it still be wrong for you to park there? Well, the answer is yes. It would still be wrong for you to park there because you thought it was wrong and yet you did it anyway. So you intended to do wrong. Even though technically you were allowed to park there because it was after 5 p.m., you didn't know that. You just thought it said no parking, period, and yet you parked there anyway. So the fact that there's a car parked in that spot at that time, there's nothing wrong about that. It's after 5 p.m. But the fact that you parked it there, even though you thought it was wrong to do so, that's wrong. See that distinction? In much the same way, there was nothing wrong with these foods But the fact that the weak in faith were eating them, even though they thought it was wrong to do so, that was wrong. We could say it was objectively right, but subjectively wrong. And as Luther famously put it, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So even if something's not sinful in itself, if you think it's sinful and you go ahead and do it anyway, you're sinning. Because your intention is to sin, you're doing something you believe is sinful before God. And what Paul's doing here is he's really asking the strong in faith to keep this in mind, to keep this in view, that even though nothing is unclean in itself anymore, It can be unclean for the weak in faith if they think it's unclean. And therefore, the strong in faith need to be careful to walk in love toward the weak in faith and not put a stumbling block in their way. After that clarification, thirdly, our third main point now, Paul says, don't destroy each other. Walk in love toward each other. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now really this connects back to verse 13. In verse 13, he gave the exhortation, don't put a stumbling block in each other's way. Then verse 14 was a clarification of that exhortation. Nothing's unclean unless you think it's unclean. And then verse 15, he gives really the reason for the exhortation in verse 13. The reason we shouldn't put a stumbling block in each other's way is, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So we shouldn't put a stumbling block in each other's way, for if we do, then we're no longer walking in love toward each other. That's the connection here. So what does he mean then by for if your brother is grieved by what you eat. Well, he's referring to the grief of the weak in faith when they stumble into sin. 
when the strong in faith eat the unclean foods and it's a stumbling block for the weak and the weak trip and fall over that stumbling block and are grieved for their sin. John Murray put it this way, a weak believer is grieved when he has violated his religious convictions and is afflicted with the vexation of conscience which the consequent sense of guilt involves. And Paul says that if your brother is grieved by what you eat in that sense, then you are no longer walking in love toward your brother. You're no longer cheering them on in their race. You're tripping them up in their race. But we're called to walk in love towards each other. Listen to a few verses. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're called to walk in love toward each other and we're called to do so as Christ himself loved us and gave himself up for us. 1 Corinthians 13 famously tells us what that love should look like, verses four through seven. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love we want to have for each other. Earlier in Romans, if you want to flip back there, in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, We read chapter 12, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then in chapter 13, verse eight, verses eight through 10, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love puts no stumbling block in front of a neighbor. Love doesn't grieve a neighbor. Love doesn't destroy a neighbor. Paul says at the end of verse 15, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died, since of course that would not be walking in love towards that person. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. This is not referring to an eternal destruction because no one Christ died for will experience eternal destruction. John 10, 15, I lay down my life for the sheep and verses 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Wonderful promise. So Paul's not talking about eternal destruction here. He's talking about temporal destruction. Because sin is destructive 
all sin destroys, especially when we go against our conscience. So he's saying to the strong in faith, basically, this is serious. Take this seriously. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't destroy whom Christ redeemed. One of the reasons we shouldn't do this to a brother or sister is because Jesus died for them. And if Jesus died for them, then we should die to ourselves for them and not destroy them in this way. We should be willing to let go of certain liberties out of love for our fellow sheep. If Christ laid down his life for him, surely you can lay down your bacon for him or your beer. If Christ sacrificed everything for him, surely you can sacrifice one small thing for him. Christ loved him unto death, surely you can love him unto your discomfort. The discomfort of foregoing certain liberties for the sake of the one for whom Christ died. So the message of these verses really is that we should walk in love toward each other. We should walk in love by not putting a stumbling block in each other's way. By recognizing that even though nothing is unclean in itself, it can be unclean if someone thinks it's unclean. And by not destroying each other, by not destroying the one for whom Christ died. Walk in love toward each other. Let me mention just a few further points of application as we draw to a close this morning. Three things. Number one, I think all this helps us not to panic when we discover differences of opinion or practice. Helps us not to panic when we find out that someone has a different opinion or practice regarding a matter of secondary importance like Paul's talking about here. Then I think instead of panicking, we can simply ask questions. We can ask thoughtful questions, sincere, non-threatening questions, like, how did you come to that view? Or, I'm curious, why is that your practice? I'd love to hear more. We can ask questions not to try to trap them, like in a cross-examination in court, but to try to get to know them and understand them, like in a friendship, in a coffee house. We can lovingly and patiently seek to understand each other and where, we, where each other are coming from. We can leave space, we can leave elbow room for each other's conscience to come to different conclusions about secondary matters. And I think that will help us walk in love toward each other. Secondly, I think this should encourage us to pray for unity in the midst of diversity in the body. To pray for unity in the midst of diversity. There's a diversity of opinion and practice on secondary matters here in this church. We've talked about that over the last several weeks and that's okay. That's okay. That's hard sometimes and it doesn't mean of course it's just a a sort of free for all. Uh, We do have doctrinal standards that clarify what we believe the Bible teaches. The Bible is our ultimate authority We want to pursue truth together. We want to be constantly reforming our thoughts and practices and conforming them to the word of God, yes. But it's okay to have some diversity of views and practices regarding what the word of God teaches on secondary matters. If all the animals in the zoo were the same animal, nobody would ever come to the zoo. 
That's not really a good analogy. You're not animals. Uh, Yeah, scratch that. You get the picture. God made us different. We, We all have different understandings. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. It adds color. It adds texture to our life together. But as I say, we can pray that God would grant us unity in the midst of that diversity. Unity around what is primary. Unity around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So pray for unity in the midst of diversity. And third, and finally, our model and our source of strength for all this is, of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is our model for how to love each other. Christ is our source of strength as we seek to love each other. Ephesians 2, again, we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We're to walk in his steps and to walk in his strength as we seek to love each other. Turn ahead to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read the first part of chapter 2 as we close, where you can just listen. Philippians chapter 2, I'll start at verse 1 and read down through verse 11. And I want us to see Christ and how he loved us, how he humbled himself for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that in the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's look to Jesus together. Let's walk in his steps and in his strength. Let's walk in love toward each other as he loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us and giving yourself up for us. 
And we thank you for calling us to walk in love toward each other. Help us to do that. According to your word, according to what we've heard this morning. Looking to you as our model and our source of strength. Make us more and more a church where we love each other well. For the adorning of the gospel and the glory of your name. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take just a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard, to ask God for grace, to walk in love toward each other as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, and then we'll sing together.